Welcome to Collective Conversations. I'm your host, Mike Brewer, and I know that I open every episode by saying that I'm really excited to speak to today's guest, and that is the case, but today I have an extra special guest, and I want to start by saying in 1996, I met this famed multifamily superstar in a hotel lobby, gift shop, I need to add the gift shop in there, and she was so incredibly kind to me, and I never forgot that moment, and today I am privileged to call her a friend, and I'm excited to have her on the show. Lisa Trozine's time in the uh, residential property management industry has given her ample opportunity to find and define and leverage her strengths for not just her own success, but also for those who work with her. And I can attest to that. After 20 plus years, she has experienced with everything from affordable and technical housing to new construction and class A plus plus assets. She has worked uh, in virtually every type of location from rural markets to Michigan Avenue. Her passion for the industry doesn't stop with just advising owners and management companies. She's helped many of our industries supply partners, supplier partners rather, with product positioning and sales strategies, as well as teaching several new companies the etiquette of sales and communication in the residential property management industry. Additionally, she finds great joy in helping individuals in this industry find their own niche of excellence and has served as a mentor and personal advisor to many of our industry's most outstanding leaders. I like to selfishly count myself in that group. She has given me some sage advice over the years. Uh, Lisa has a background in education, and I think that helps to certainly supplement and augment her efforts at teaching and training and mentoring and coaching people. Lisa, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) Considering we've been trying to put this together for how long? Let's say a long time. (laughs) A while. You got sick. I got sick. I mean, it just wasn't, the stars were not aligned. They were not. Fits and starts, fits and starts. But here we are. Well, I, so I know it is sort of cliche to lead by asking someone how they got into the industry, but I think uh, it would be super interesting to our audience to hear your story and how you got into the industry. Well, I was lucky, and when I was uh, going to college, I I had an academic scholarship that covered everything, and and I know those are rare, and I and I know I was very fortunate to have that, but you know you still needed money for like you know shoes, stuff like that. So um, I went to the Student Employment Referral Service at Western Michigan University, where I got my degree, and they had this ad for a leasing agent receptionist at an apartment community. And I thought, you know, I, I, I could do that. I'd worked as a receptionist or as a, you know, office kind of person all through college to, to supplement, you know, my, my income. So I applied for the job, got it. And uh, my first day on the job, it was a Saturday and I showed up early because, you know, you got to be there early. The person who was working with me that day showed up late and basically said when I got there, Oh, thank God. They finally hired somebody. Let me in, you know, went into the clubhouse and went into the leasing office. They were there for like five minutes and I was sitting at my desk trying to get, you know, organized and stuff like that. And they came out and they gave me a map and an availability list and a set of master keys and said, I don't feel well. I'm going home. We close at four. <laughs> so I was there. My first day up by myself. And it was, it was 384 units, 120 of new construction. I had never leased an apartment in my entire life. (laughs) 
<laughs> Here's the keys. There you go. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Live out of seat of your pants. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard that are akin to that story. That yeah. it, it, it's not necessarily that version of it, but it's the version of, hey, I'm so busy. I've got all this stuff to do. Just kind of go familiarize yourself with the community just so you know where the tour path is and where you know where the apartment, the uh, model is. And then if someone comes in, just go over there and show them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much what it was. Gosh, and it was yeah. like, so I'm, I'm here with my little map, you know, <laughs> trying to figure <laughs> out where I'm going, hoping that the keys work. Ah, well, <laughs> here's the kitchen. <laughs> I didn't know anything. And I just, I, I, I'm, I'm self-taught. I, I, I will tell you that I am self-taught. So when I teach people how to lease apartments, it's stuff that I know works because I did it myself. And then, you know, and I, I always test my theories in the field before I, you know, spread them out. Um, you know, you'll never find me saying, well, I had this idea when I was in the shower this morning that you should try this because you know, I want people who are trying my ideas to know that they're trying them and they're going to see how they work and they might be tweaked and need to be tweaked, stuff like that. So yeah, that was my introduction. And um, I stayed there. I mean, there were no, when I graduated from college, there were no teaching jobs at all. There were none. And, uh, the, and this will make you laugh. I was an English lit major and a sex ed minor. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah, you get a lot of dates when you're in the library in college with a book that's called Mate Selection and Marriage. You don't get a lot of dates, but when you're studying your advanced human sexuality textbook, you get a lot of dates. So um, that was my minor. And I just stayed there. I just stayed in the industry. So that's kind of how it happened. I mean, a lot of us fell into this and I'm one of those follower into it people. You know, uh, yes, that is a true statement. and I. I have to say this because it came to mind and we're going to bounce around today. I hope that's okay. Um, we'll try to connect it through, uh, get a through line going, but um, it brought to mind. I, I remember sitting, I believe it was NAA. It was one of the big major shows uh, or conferences rather. And you had the courage to put a slide up on the overhead projector, which was gigantic. And it was about the porn industry. And, and I think at the time, the point you were making was how, the porn industry had been in the black and they were the only internet company or not company, but industry at that time, the internet was very early on and you would use that as a reference. And I thought that is incredible courage. That is an incredible thing to put up in this, the sex eds minor. The point that I would get to with that is this, I have been and have admired your sense of preparation when you come to do a presentation when you come to do a teaching a training a coaching a mentoring you show up with data and facts and facts on facts and more data and you steep it all you give everybody this incredible why behind the what what is the drive behind that i don't like the term well you know what they say who's they yeah. who gives them credibility to say that so when I tell somebody that they should try this or this is something that you need to do, you really need to have the data to back it up because people are coming to you and they're, they paid to come. Yeah. They paid to listen to you. So if you get up there and just like blather a bunch of 
ideas that you have at them, I think you're really shortchanging the audience. I, I don't believe in that. I mean, ideas that are tested in the field and work great. But if, if you come in and you're going to come in and tell them that they need to make a change or they need to make an adjustment or they need to be aware of something that's going on out there in the space, you better have the facts to back it up because they trust you, you know, and, and you gotta, you gotta be able to, you gotta have credibility. And, um, and plus I'm a data freak. I mean, I love data. Like I, I went to, um, Walgreens two days ago and I went to buy a bottle of moisturizer and it was locked in a case. All right. It was locked in a case, an $18 bottle of moisturizer was locked in a case and the store was busy. There was nobody to help me get it out of the Walgreens prison. And I was frustrated and I didn't buy it. And so I came home and I went online and I went to Amazon and the same bottle of lotion was $4 less. And I could, it said order now and have it by three o'clock this afternoon. You know, and it was, I have Amazon prime. So my shipping, you know, it's not technically free, but you know what I mean? It's sort of free. So I could get it by three o'clock. I didn't have to get it out of Walgreens prison. It was, it was 25% less. So I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. What is going on? So I, I did a deep dive. 10 to 25% of consumers are walking out of stores where stuff is locked down because they're frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, and I wanted to know, am I the only one that's really frustrated with this? No, I'm not. 10 to 25% of consumers are saying, you know what, this is ridiculous. I'm not going to steal this thing, but there's actually a technology out there right now. And the, the company said they can't make the items fast enough where you'll be able to, they're doing it right now. So employees can unlock the cases with their employee smartphone. Yep. So they don't have to find a key and all that other stuff, but there actually is a technology in place where your customer, there will either be facial recognition tied to a loyalty program, or they'll be able to unlock the case with their smartphone. And it'll be almost like the case, the, the, the mini bars in Vegas. Oh, they'll yeah. know how many you took and they'll know how long the case was open. And then they'll see what you paid. So they'll know if you stole anything, supposedly. Uh, so, so now I'm doing a deep dive into locked cases at Walgreens. So it isn't just limited to my professional life. It is obsessive, compulsive. I've got to find out why this is the way it is in my personal life. I, you know what? I, I think it lends very well to what you bring in because it seems like, at least to me, because there's a luggage story along those same lines that I read recently on one of your LinkedIn posts <laughs> where you went to buy a piece of luggage. But it, it's, I, th I think there are a couple of things to unpack there. I think I, I would ask this question. Do you think that people walking out of stores, it's not just because you're having that terrible experience, but it is also a function of uh, big consumer brands like Amazon and others who make it so easy so easy that that's your new baseline. That's your new expectation, right? So when you walk into a physical store, if you're not having that same sort of seamless and frictional, frictionless experience, you're now frustrated probably sooner than you would have otherwise been had the internet not come along. Absolutely. That, yeah. You know, there's actually a term for that on it and it actually came out years ago. It's called third level service. Okay. And third level service is where you compare the quality of the customer service at your local Starbucks to your local apartment community. Your local Starbucks, you walk in, they know you want the half-calf latte, extra foam, three pumps of cinnamon, sugar, and I don't know what else because I don't drink coffee. And I know you do with your Starbucks fixation. But, um, you know, but then you walk into your apartment community where you've lived for five years and you pay far more than you do for your daily Starbucks, you know, fix and they don't know your name and they don't know where you live. And so you're like, Starbucks knows me, but my apartment community doesn't that I pay 2000 a month and I pay 200 a month. You know, what's, where's the disconnect? 
so yeah, that, that's absolutely part of the deal. But one of the things that's pretty cool um, that I've been working on right now is, is like when, when the pandemic first hit, I started studying Wuhan, China, because that's where it started. So I knew that they were going to be the first to come out of it. So I wanted to see what changes had been made. And when the, pan, when the lockdown ended in Wuhan, divorce was up 25%. So if you're one of those people who believes in marketing to divorce attorneys, coming out of the pandemic was the perfect time to do it. Because I, I know a lot of households that did split up because of the pandemic. The other thing I watched was the New York real estate market, because those brokers had to go from selling in person to selling virtually. And I knew they were going to make the transition the fastest and the best because they're straight commission. Right. So I was watching them and I was looking at all the pain that they were going through. And one of the things that they found when they were selling virtually was that they couldn't see the customer rolling their eyes when they saw something or folding their arms or looking at their partner and heaving a big sigh. And so their, their closing percentages were dropping precipitously. So one of the things that they did, and I include this in my leasing classes, and I call it the elephant in the room. So what you need to do, and you need to do this in any type of a sales situation. Um, but I think that the, the pandemic really brought it to light. Sure. Um, I teach all of my salespeople now and my leasing people now to say, is there anything you saw that you didn't like? Because uh, typically they're not going to, they're not going to admit that they're not going to bring it up. They're just going to say, no, I don't want it. I'm not ready to make a decision or whatever, or we went in another direction, whatever. But when you ask that question and you just put it right out to them, you know, was there anything you saw that you didn't like? And then you have to stop talking. Yeah. You yeah. Stop. Because so many times salespeople buy it back because they'll stop talking and they don't like the awkward silence and they'll go, okay, well, let's go back to the office and start the paperwork or whatever it is they say. You stop talking because then that puts the onus on them and they either say yes or no. And, it, and it's a much more honest approach to selling. And some salespeople will say, well, what if they say they saw something they didn't like? Well, then they're not going to buy it, are they? <laughs> so this way you're pulling it out, you know, just at the, at the same way when, I, when I'm starting off a sale with somebody, I say to them up front, are there any deal breakers? Yeah. And my deal breaker is if I'm next to the elevator, you know, on a high rise, I'm not going to like that. So I need to be far away from the elevator because sometimes in your discovery, it doesn't come out. That's so you've got to add questions like that to your discovery. Do you have any deal breakers? You know, what's the one thing you would bring with you from your apartment that you live in now, you know, that you want to duplicate here? If you can't duplicate it, you know, you're going to have a harder time closing them. That's but right. Nothing makes this, the sale doesn't come to a grinding halt unless you, you fumble it. So there that's you go. Right. No, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, to the extent I'm thinking of the New York people that can't see the, the facial expressions and things of that nature. Sales, would you, would you agree is as much, if not more so, uh, the creation of emotions or the elicitation of emotions as much as it is the analytical sort of here are all the data and the facts, uh, price of the unit, et cetera, et cetera. But you've got to tie those two things together. And to the extent that you're asking those extra questions and those deep-seated questions that are more emotionally based, you're probably a better you're either going to, you're going to make a good sale that's going to last over a long bit of time, or you're going to frustrate somebody if they buy without including all that. Well, and for the average person, and I'm not saying a business decision, but I'm talking about for the average person on a purchase, the yes. purchase is more emotional than it is logical. 
I mean, if you've got, you, you basically are looking at the logical side of your brain where you're saying, okay, this is what I can afford. Cause you know, they're not going to rent you an apartment that you can't afford. So it's, it's the emotional side. You know, we still, I, I remember years ago when we were going through the recession. So when was that? I don't know, 2008. I don't know when it was 2018. I don't remember, <laughs> but, but I remember there was an interview done with like five CEOs. And it was in, I think Paul Bergeron actually wrote the article. I think it was in Units Magazine. And they asked every CEO who was going to come out ahead in the recession and why. And most of them pontificated on about their stock price and, you know, we have the best people and blah, 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 blah. And I, one guy said, and I loved it. He's like, you know what? It's the team that makes the emotional connection with the consumer. And I was like, Bam. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. That's what you want to hear because it makes sense. That's right. That's you right. Know, that's, that's where that's where you got to go. You've got to make that emotional connection with that consumer. And, and you can't tell me that people who live in apartments don't make an emotional connection. They do, especially if all their friends live there and if the staff knows them when they walk in the door and, you know, they make an emotional connection. That's, that's part of the deal. And you want to keep feeding that emotional connection as long as you possibly can. We as an industry, it started with revenue management. Uh, it went to real-time availability. We've become far more transactional than we were relational. I'm not taking anything away from real-time availability. I'm not taking anything away from revenue management. I think those are all nice tools, but you have to know how to use them. That's right. And if you turn your leasing staff loose and say, revenue management, it's just like the airlines. Who likes the airlines? Nobody. <laughs> I went on yesterday and this ticket was $600 and now I go back and it's $850 because it's revenue management. I hate that. So, you know, when, right. when I have leasing people tell me when I'm doing shops, they say, well, it's, it's kind of like the airlines. No, 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 no. You've got to look at things through the eyes of the consumer. That's right. Package it that way. That, that, that's exactly right. It always reminds me of the story. Do you remember one at one time when the New York garbage workers were on strike? I do not. One of the, so one of the pieces of advice was to take your garbage and put it in a box and wrap it in gift wrap and leave it on the front seat of your car with the doors locked. And people would steal it. Now it's still garbage, but it's gift wrap garbage. Okay, don't gift wrap. <laughs> you know, <laughs> There's a, there's a story in there somewhere. I think I lost my way, but you know what I mean. Yeah, this is this is what this is what I was implying when I when I led with my remark about you doing the the research. It's it's the facts that you dig up, right? And and how you sort of tie tick and tie them to whether it be sales or whether it be advice to a, a senior leader. You somehow tie these incredible examples into real life examples that are really practical, right? They sound wrapping your garbage and leaving it on your seat. So someone would steal it. Doesn't, it just sounds ludicrous, but wow, what a creative idea. What a creative idea. And that's what you got to do. If you've got to put something out there, that's not going to be palatable. You have to figure out a way to wrap it. So it is more palatable. And I'm not saying what you're putting out there is garbage. <laughs> that's not the analogy I was trying to make. <laughs> You have to figure out a way to sell it in the eyes of that end user. And that's one of the mistakes that I see companies make. You know, they 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 require a dress code on site, but everybody at the office 
is business casual and can wear jeans. And then the executives go and do a property tour and they're dressed in business casual and the staff is dressed up. That's just wrong. That sends a message that says we're in the ivory tower. We have a different standard. We're more comfortable. We're paid more. We're better than you. Yeah. If you're going to go to the property and the property has to dress up, you dress up. You know, it's it's not rocket science. That that that's right, and that that brings to mind something you posted recently as well. And I know, I think you've posted this more than once because I got I got in on the conversation, and it was about purple hair at the time. But the one you posted most it was about purple hair. The, the one the one you posted most recently was about tattoos. Mm -hmm. And so, g give us your your opinion about that. I I know it's a strong one, and I like it. <laughs> you know, I I don't have a problem with tattoos. Yep. Um, it's interesting because the industry has morphed and it's gotten a lot more accepting of tattoos. Years ago, tattoos were like a bad thing to have. That's right. And look at somebody like Sir Richard Branson. You know, Tom Peters always said, swipe from the best and adapt. Yes. That's and right. I love that expression. Swipe from the best and adapt. And Richard Branson, if you stay at a Virgin Hotel, or you do go go out to business, go on that Virgin Cruise. His people have blue hair and they're tattooed and they have multiple piercings. But you know what? They have amazing customer service, amazing customer service. And, you know, we, we have a lot of management companies who say, you know, your hair color must be a color that's only found naturally occurring in your hair. Uh, no tattoos. Da, 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 da. And I think that that has become archaic. Now, some people will say it depends on your demographic, and and I have to agree somewhat. I, I can I can see it being off putting if you're managing like a senior property, sure. that very conservative seniors or something. Um, but I would I would have to do a deep dive to find out if it was. I don't know. I'm just guessing. But I've had some of the most amazing customer service by people who are tatted and pierced and and have the strangest hair in the entire world because that doesn't make them different from a customer service delivery standpoint. It, it, it does not. Going back to, to Starbucks as an example, I, I visit the same Starbucks frequently. Uh, I have one in the little town that I live in and one in the city where we're close to our work. And they all know my name. Of course they know. Right. But they all have, they all express themselves in very different ways, be it the tattoos or the face piercings or whatever. And, but they are the nicest people. And you know what else? When you take the time, you know, I, I don't have a tattoo and I don't have any piercings and I'll never have any, but, but that doesn't matter, right? But I found that if you take the time to say, tell me about that tat, right? Tell me, tell me about that. Mm -hmm. They light up and they, they have amazing stories. Ama because tattoos are very personal, or at least my experience with asking people about them, they're very personal. They and are. The stories are deep and some of them are, some of them are hard to hear, but <laughs> but it's it's interesting you can create that dialogue and that relationship both ways. And and I think, you know, this sort of leading into, a, I don't know if this is a question as much as it is a statement, but I think it's time for the multifamily industry to get away, go back, go away from transactions and back to the humanities, right? We need to see each other. As operators, I know I'm on a mission to get computers off of every desk in every office across our entire organization on the site level because I want people to not be distracted by technology. I want them to be able to see each other. Wait, you don't want them to be doing this while they're talking to a prospect? <laughs> what did you say? I've got to put it in the notes. 
Can you hold on? <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Wait a sec, I have to backspace. Oh no, my screen froze. Can you wait? <laughs> exactly. Or even the iPad, you know, I, oh, I just. But this, this is what makes me the craziest. Yeah. This on the desk <laughs> in the leasing office makes me insane. And the smartwatches. Uh, oh, yeah. I. Oh, the smartwatch. Are you ready? Here's a conversation with somebody with a smartwatch. So, how have you been? Yeah, what's going on? Yeah, I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, that's a smartwatch conversation. It's like, seriously, if you and I were sitting here and I was looking at my smartwatch, I might as well do this. Yeah. Because I'm saying that this is more important than you. That's right. Drives me crazy. That's exactly right. You know, that brings to mind... I'm having a blast with this new app. It's called Be Real. And so Be Real? Be Real. And the essence of Be Real is it notifies you at random times throughout the day. And at that moment in time, you have two minutes to take a picture of whatever you're doing at that moment in time. You don't get a chance to prep. You don't get a chance to like choreograph everything. But I'm having a lot of fun like in restaurants and Starbucks and other places like snapping people who are doing exactly what you just said, right? Look at all these people sitting around with each other, but not really with each other. Exactly. <laughs> because, right, they're doing all this stuff. Yeah. Exactly. You be real. It's so much yeah, fun. I, I made a post once on my personal Facebook page, and I said, I went into Starbucks the other day, and there was a guy sitting there drinking <laughs> coffee, not on a phone, not on a laptop, like a maniac, just drinking coffee. Rebel? Out of control. You know, it's okay to do that. Uh, It's actually really good for you. (laughs) It it actually, it actually is good for you. And and what I've tried to start doing, um, because you know I travel a lot. What I've tried to start doing, like I will buy the Wi-Fi pass and I'll do work on my way to my client. I'll look over stuff that I'm going to talk to them about. You know, I'll make sure that I'm ready. I'll I'll look at some news articles, stuff like that. Um, because I'm always updating all my stuff to based on what's going on today. Sure. Um, but on the flight home, I do not get out my laptop. I read a book. Good for I you. I am reading a book on my flight home. I'm taking that two hours or four hours or 30 minutes or whatever that flight is, and I'm reading a book. And it's great because I, I love to read, kind of like you do. I'm a I'm a book junkie. And um it's just, you know, you have to curb it yourself. I like, I just got off a one month Facebook detox and oh my God, it was so good. It was so good. It's, it's I just removed the app from my phone. You know, I, I don't know if, have you seen the social network and I'm sure everybody's seen the social network at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah. It's, I mean, that is real. You, when you rewire your pathways, right. And and you're taking hits of dopamine every 15 seconds. It, it yep. really does something to your the, brain. The only thing that was bad, though, about jumping off Facebook was a lot of my friends live their lives on Facebook. And I am not being critical of that at all. So I missed some things. Sure. Which, sure. which made me feel bad because I wanted to be able to say, hey, you know, congratulations or you have my sympathies or whatever. Um, and I missed those things. So that was, that's the only really kind of, uh, downside. I feel like we need a, like an out of office. Facebook needs to develop sort of an out of office app or, or a piece of their app where everybody who posts. Yeah, I, I posted on there that I was, you know, off for a month, but I don't expect people to say, oh, she's off for a month. Let's not reach out to her. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, that's true. You can't. That'd be a hard thing to do. Yeah, that'd be kind of um, that'd be kind of crazy. I so I'm interested. You so I want to segue. We're hard left. Um, Apartment All Stars. Yeah. How did how did Apartment All Stars come to be a an organization? Who sort of seeded that thing, and how did it take off into to what it is today? Because that is a that is it a group of apartment all stars. <laughs> <laughs> High-powered. Apartment All-Stars started as a result of a conversation between my dear friend, Mindy Williams. Uh, Yep. This photo always sits on my desk. (laughs) Passed away uh, a couple of years ago, but her photo is always on my desk. Um, She and I were having a conversation one day. She had been to one of those success 2000s with, you know, Brian Tracy and Tony Robbins and all those people. And we were just chatting about it because I had been to those before. And, you know, I was like, how was it? And we're talking about how much money they made in the back of the house by selling books and tapes and all that other stuff. Sure. And she said, I wonder if anybody could figure out a way to do that in multifamily. So I started thinking, started thinking. So we pulled in Kate, Kate Good, right. and came up with the All-Stars. And originally there were just four of us. Now there are 12 speakers, a uh, total of 12 right now. It, it changes. We, we rotate people in and out. Um, but uh, there's 12 of us and one of the big pieces. And, and it's funny because we have gotten so much criticism from some people over this and so much praise from others over this is we started it as a way for apartment associations to make money and bring national speakers to their market that people might not otherwise see if they didn't go to a national apartment association event. I understand. And so the, 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 the association keeps the door so they can charge whatever they want. We don't tell them what to charge. Um, you know, we, we suggest that they try to get a free venue or a cheap venue because the more they save on that end, the more they're going to make. So we have had people make up, we've, we've had a couple of associations make, you know, six figures from having the all-stars in for the morning so because they charged, you know, a certain amount and, um, we've been around for, wow, honestly, I don't remember how long we've been around, maybe 25 years now. We thought it would last for a year. Oh. Our plan was one year. And then the demand got so great that we had to keep going. And then we got hit by the pandemic and we've had to, you know, kind of sit back and retool, but we're still out there. Um, you know, and one of the things that's exciting is we've been able to bring on speakers uh, who are just amazing speakers that are subject matter experts and work for um, an industry supplier like Pete Regulis. Pete will tell you, you need to have Pete on here. Okay. Pete will tell you that I went to court and I said, I want Pete Regulis to be an all-star. And he was like, what? what? <laughs> I said, you've, you've got the chops, you can do it. And so he's like a full-fledged speaker now. And he's amazing. He's an incredible MC. He's a great speaker. He's got so much energy. He does a, a fabulous job. Uh, we've got Virginia Love, who works for, she's the industry principal for Entrada. That woman brings the house down. Is that she right? sits up there and she tells it like it is. And she doesn't mince words. And she just does an amazing job. 
um, you know, we've just got a, we've got a great bunch of people and we just really love to excite the audiences, get them fired up about what they're doing. We want them to go back to work and just be so pumped to retain yeah. their residents, lease more apartments, work, move up that corporate ladder, whatever it is. You know, our whole goal is to get that audience excited. And um, I think we do a great job of it. Oh, yeah. I, I got to tell you, the thing that the thing that strikes me most when I see that, I've seen it multiple times now, um, is the fast paced nature. I mean, you run through eight speakers, let's say it's like 10 minutes each or 15 minutes yeah. each. And it is like nonstop. It is. <laughs> it is. Um, at NAA this year, we're going to do 60 ideas in 60 minutes. So oh, it'll be an idea a minute. And, uh, and, and you know, we, we prep this for weeks at a time. You have to get your slides in. We go through the slides. We make sure there's no duplication. We make sure the ideas are fresh innovative, exciting. And then seriously, the morning of we're, we're, we're combing, we're combing Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and, you know, the Wall Street Journal and everything for things that we can add in at the last minute. Minute to make it as fresh as fresh can be. Yeah. And it, last year we, we, we sort of blew up NAA's computers because the file was so big, but luckily we had it on a backup we had it on my laptop as a backup we had it on a jump drive as a backup we had it backed up to the cloud but it was just a huge file because we have video clips and and everything else so it, you know we we put a ton of work into that thing uh so i i have you said tiktok so i have to go there talk to me about tiktok as it relates to apartment marketing <laughs> i'm a i'm a big believer in tiktok and i have been for a long time and i've taken a lot of abuse over that a lot of abuse um if you go into tiktok if you went into tiktok a year ago and you looked the locators are killing it on tiktok mm-hmm. now one of the reasons the locators are doing so well is because they're a little more nimble sure. than we are at the site they are just devoted to answering those emails and those calls they're not running a property that's right but they are they're go in and look at dallas apartment locators houston apartment locators they have hundreds of thousands of followers and they have thousands, tens of thousands of views of tours and they make the tours fun. They make the tours interesting. TikTok is absolutely. And I don't, don't give me this garbage about my demographic isn't on TikTok. I see all ages, all demographics on TikTok. And if you're not on it, you're missing out. Oh yeah. You know, I was listening to renters obsessed uh, podcast today and the, somebody chimed in with a it wasn't really a question it was a statement they were talking about an active adult community or a senior living adult community and the community that community had been using tiktok right (laughs) with their residents and with the people like i guess the sons and the daughters of the people who live in those active adult communities right it's it's not just those individuals who live there it's their spheres of influence right that you're talking to Yeah, because your kids, as as your as people age and they look for apartments or places to live or whatever, their their adult children help them. That's so right. you're marketing to two separate groups there. But it, it's it's you know if you're ignoring it, you're making a big mistake because you know everything is now and has been for quite a while. Video, 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 video. I mean, when did you start doing video along with your podcast? Oh, gee whiz, six years ago, plus minus. Yeah. But there's still a lot of people that are just doing podcasts with no video. That's right. And that's okay. When I'm at the gym, I'll listen to the podcast. 
Um, but I like watching the video. I like seeing the facial expressions. I like kind of, you know, seeing what's going on. Like, like I follow this, this thing on TikTok called Room Raider. And what they do is they look at the room behind you on a Zoom call and they rate the room. It's hilarious. It's absolutely hilarious. They talk about your background and they, and they score you on a scale of one to 10 on what the room looks like behind you. I mean, it's, it's, it, people like to see things. Oh, oh yeah, it's right. It's, uh, I mean, I, I tend to lean more toward Instagram than I do TikTok, but I, I play around in TikTok because I know apartment renters are going to play around in that. So I, I feel like if you're going to be good at something, you have to be a practitioner of it, but absolutely, you, you know, and TikTok doesn't, or sorry, Instagram doesn't have that kind of sort of, uh, I guess, community or creative ecosystem it's more like pictures of whatever's going on in the day but i get well, engaged you can, look, you can you know look at reels and you can look at them you know back to back to back to back to back but right. the problem with that is it when you're doing that it's all the people that you follow that's right. uh, on tiktok you can get all kinds of people that you don't follow it just pops up randomly and you can be like holy this is so weird and you just skip right through it you know but go to the ones that you really like and and you know, I find myself sharing them and, you know, making sure that I can get back to that same video that I want to see. And I'll never forget this. It was a couple of Christmases ago, you know, and I was, I was getting beaten up on the regular on LinkedIn about my support for TikTok. And there was a woman in Ulta, I was Christmas shopping and there was a woman in Ulta and she had to have been in, I'm going to guess her seventies. Okay. And she's walking through Ulta, you know, the, the makeup store, she's walking through Ulta and she's looking for stuff and she's got her phone out. And this woman comes up to her and says, you know, can I help you with something? She goes, I'm trying to find this makeup that I saw on TikTok for my granddaughter. And she's on TikTok and she knows how to work it. And she, and, and the, the Ulta person doesn't say like, you're too old to be on TikTok. Like people are telling me on LinkedIn that, you know, that people aren't going to be on TikTok because they're too old. Right. And they find they find the video she's like yeah my granddaughters follow this influencer and if she tells them to buy this they buy this so i need this and i need two of them that's the, There's you a know, 75 yeah yeah it doesn't matter it's i i mean anymore i think that we've sort of reached that sort of mass market appeal of all certainly it started with the iphone then it started with apps and then it started with amazon and commerce etc cetera, etc cetera. but we've reached the tipping point where it doesn't matter it's cross-generational right but you know but you know one of the problems that i see is we see management companies that they don't have anybody on their team that can do their social so they hire an agency to do their social so every single social post for every one of their communities is the exact same thing right and they right. post up that gets no interaction that nobody cares about um and they can say, oh, yeah, we're on Instagram. No, you're really not. You're really not. You're not That's doing crazy. anything. You know, so if you're going to hire somebody to do it, vet them. And if you're not sure how to vet them, find somebody on your team who's really into Instagram and say, okay, do these people know what they're doing? Because a lot of them out there are just cashing the checks for people who don't want to think about it. And then, then you shouldn't even be on there because you're, it's a waste of money because your presence is completely wasted. That drives me insane. So I have a question for you, and this has been sort of swirling around in my head for a long bit of time. And I think this is the first time I've publicly said this out loud. Uh oh. Um, yeah. I so let's say Lisa Trezine has two hundred thousand followers. She's <laughs> in, in in her own right, whatever, across platforms or maybe one platform or whatever. Let's call you a micro influencer or even a major influencer. And but you're not 
I mean, maybe you're capitalizing on that in terms of influencing people and getting paid for that promotion, et cetera, et cetera. But you come to work for an apartment community. And now I, I, company owner of property management company, want to use your influence. Is it, is it a, I, so if I want to leverage the influence of my team member base, my employee base, do I need to think about comping them for the influence that they have out in the world beyond a leasing commission or renewal commission or a pay check, right? Does that make sense? Yes. So I'm curious, do you have an opinion about that? I do, I do. Um, if you're gonna hire somebody who has a huge following and you want them to leverage that following, that's a separate relationship. And I think you pay them for that. Okay. Now you might say upfront, one of the reasons we're hiring you is because you have this and our right. base pay is this, but we're willing to pay you this because we want you to do this, but we also want to leverage your social. Right. Exclusive. Well, then it's a package deal, or you can say it's two separate things. But uh -huh. yeah, I, I think if you're looking at hiring people that have a strong social following and you want them to work for you in a regular job and you want them to do influencing from their personal space, I think that's I think they absolutely have to be compensated for that. Yeah, it's it's an interesting topic. And I think it's only become more pronounced in my mind as of late because people are amassing these huge I call it huge, whatever your definition of huge is, but you, people come to work for you who have a lot of people that follow them, whatever, whatever platform that might be, but, and they're leveraging that on your behalf, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I don't see anything wrong with that as long as they are being compensated and you're very clear about that up front. But I, I think that's an absolutely valid question. I think that's, I think you absolutely have to talk about that in the space today. It's so becoming a favor. One thing before we go any further, I do not want to talk about the metaverse. All right. I'm on record. I don't want to talk about NFTs, blockchain, or the metaverse. Okay. That's off limits. And I should have told you that at the beginning. Those three topics completely off limits. All right. That's a that's a discussion for a totally another day. Did you say blockchain in that group of things? I did. I threw block. I threw in blockchain, metaverse, and NFTs. Oh, and crypto. I don't want to talk about crypto either. But those are off the table. Those are completely off the table right now. Yeah, that that's fair. That's fair. I'm. Uh, I'm. I think I'm, that's fair too. I'm. Uh, I'm digging into those topics myself as of late, and so I'll leave them off the agenda for today. You can. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that at a date to be determined. That's fear. That is that is fear. I think that's an interesting topic, and we should talk about it at some point in time. If I get you back for a round two at some point, we'll yeah, I, I agree. It's something that we absolutely have to talk about, but I'm not in that mindset today. Understood. I mean? I mean, if this had like vodka in it, I might be in that mindset, but this just has water in it, so no, I am not in the mindset to talk about that today. Okay, <laughs> I will not ask you about the metaverse. <laughs> For sure. Um, I do, I do have an off, it's a random question. Um, yeah. it, it dates back to a time that I, I traveled up to Chicago to participate in a bus tour that you put together and you, and you we made you shoot baskets in the gym. Everybody's <laughs> like, that? dunk it, dunk it, dunk it. I'm like, I'm like 40. I don't dunk at 40. I know I'm six like, foot eight. <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, go Red Raiders, you know? That's our whoo -whoo, guns up. <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I do remember that. Um, but I think the, the thing that I remember. Bring up the pencil. 
I'm bringing up the pencil. I'm bringing up Leo Burnett, right? The marketing agency. You have a figure in there. She now lives in Atlanta, as I understand. Uh, she does. And she actually, she left Leo Burnett to go and be the head of like consumer uh, affairs or whatever for Coca-Cola. And she has since left Coca-Cola. And I can't remember the name of the company she's with, but she's, she, she big cheese. She's awesome. Super talented on the marketing end. I really need to get her uh, a speaking slot at AIM or NMHC or something because she's so good. Listen, she spoke for, what, 20 minutes as sort of an introduction to the bus tour. And, yep. and she handed out pencils. And I was just spellbound by the things that were coming out of her mouth, right? And so I, for those of who do, who do not know what, Leo Burnett is. Can you just tell them quickly what that is, how you met this person and, and kind of how that's maybe influenced even your perception of marketing in the... In Leo the Burnett is a, is a huge ad agency based out of Chicago. And April Carlisle, who we're talking about, is a friend of mine, uh, lived in my neighborhood until she moved to Atlanta because she wanted to live closer, closer to you. Um, <laughs> Cause you were so fascinated with her pencil story. Um, and we were putting together the bus tour and I really, I felt like, you know what, if we're going to do this bus tour in Chicago, because Chicago has amazing product, I thought, why don't we tap some of these incredibly talented people who are in Chicago and do just like a little kickoff to the tour? And we were looking at, you know, marketing ideas and leasing ideas and things like that. So I called up April and I said, hey, would you like to come in and just talk to a group of basically industry people and my friends, because most of them were my friends, um, and help us kick off this bus tour and just do a kind of overall 20, 30 minutes about marketing. And she nailed it. She did an incredible job. Um, and she did at such a high level because, you know, she worked with, I mean, I mean, every time I would go on April's Facebook page, she would be in uh, Dubai and she would be in Greece and she, and she would be there for these product launches and speaking at these marketing conferences. I mean, she was launching huge products. She actually, before she went to Leo Burnett or when she was at Leo Burnett, she was uh, in charge of Procter & Gamble. I mean, the woman has done some incredible marketing in her career. And if you get a chance to follow her on LinkedIn, her name is April Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. And she is just super smart lady. I echo that. I was I was just blown away. I was just peeking back in my filing cabinet here because I still have that pencil. I know you do. I don't have mine because somebody on the tour lost theirs and asked me for mine. Oh, oh that's a... Do you want to tell them the pencil story? You should tell them the pencil story. It's a very amazing story. No, I'm not telling them. You have to tell them. So the pencil is, um, the circumference of the pencil is special, and thus it requires a special pencil sharpener. I, I learned this because I went and read about the pencil after the fact. Or no, she told the story, actually. She told the story about the pencil. And so, but the pencil does not have an eraser because there are no mistakes at Leo Burnett. There are no mistakes. So you cannot erase anything, and everything is done in pencil, Right. And I'm probably leaving some punchlines out here, but it it's sort of like the, or at least the way it translated in my head was great ideas start with uh, <laughs> crappy first drafts, right? <laughs> and you, right? And you just iterate, 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 whether it be in collaboration or in isolation, you're iterating on these original ideas. Mm -hmm. and that's the idea behind the pencil. You don't get to erase anything because there are no. Well, and if you think about it, it was a great way to start out the talk. 
Mm-hmm. It, it tells a great lesson and it's obviously stayed with you after several years. And that's, that's what makes up part of a great talk. You know, um, I use lots of props in my webinars. These are my, my Easter bunny ears that you can see. Um, I have my crown, my crown that I wear uh, because people get bored on That's webinars. If, if somebody says something and it's just kind of out there or weird, you know, the chicken squawks, I've got my chicken here. Um, but my, my favorite webinar toy, that is my most popular one. And I've actually had people say that they're like, well, I saw your webinar and you had, you had such and such in it. Are you going to bring that when you speak to our people in person? I'm like, you want that? Okay, so here's the here's the story behind this. I was it was, it was you know we had come out of uh, lockdown. Okay. And a, a small owner in Chicago called me up and he said, "Can you do me a favor?" He said, "Can you just go visit my team at this building? They're they're struggling. They need they need to be you know cheered up and punched up and excited." I'm like, "Yeah, I'll totally go." So he says, and he said, and don't forget to wear a mask. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to wear a mask. Obviously, everybody's wearing a mask. So I started thinking about wearing a mask. And I'm thinking the staff is, you know, sad and they're struggling. So I get there and I, you know, I get there and I have them, you know, get it ready to go to the leasing office. And they say, oh, and you have to have a mask on. And I'm like, I totally have my mask on. So I walk into the leasing office with my mask on. And here's my mask. <laughs> And they did exactly what you're doing. That's gold. (laughs) Because do you remember the woman who went viral for the video in her car? I do. When that happened and people were losing their minds over that mask, I knew I had to buy one. So I bought one and I've had it ever since. And so I use it on webinars and, and people, and, and at the end of the webinar, I'm like, are there any questions? Yes. How much is the Chewbacca mask? And where did you get it? You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to have to, at the end of every webinar, you can list the, you can uh, put links, affiliate links out there. And uh, yeah, I, I, I need, I need to have a QR code with affiliate links so I can make money. Cause I think I've sold more. I've also sold a lot of these. Hold on. This is, this is my little guy. Oh, the battery's getting low. This is my wacky tube guy. It's oh, like yeah. the thing you have at car washes. Oh yeah. I need a new battery. The battery is like almost dead. Um, but I like just, I buy these toys because webinars where the person is just staring into the camera and talking are just really so boring. So you need, you know, and on a webinar, you know, you should talk 20% faster. You should have your hands in the picture because when people can see your hands, they trust you more. If you've noticed my hands have been up here for most of the web, most of this, um, podcast, (laughs) you just, and you gotta have that like, like. Like sometimes there'll be like a, a break, and I'll, so I'll have my little my Green Bay Packer gnome. He'll just walk across the screen, you know, and he'll look at everybody because I'm a huge Packer fan. So I have my Green Bay Packer garden gnome. So I just have junk here that I use to you know to make people laugh and have a better time because webinars can be so dull. Oh yeah, that is a true statement. I mean, some webinars come on and I'm like, oh my god, can they send me the recording because I need to take a nap. <laughs> You can't do that. People need to be entertained. entertained. You know, the average adult learner needs a change of tempo every eight minutes. So if you said something that I liked on a webinar, I'd be like that. You know, because you want to keep people pumped. 
You know, that brings Tony Robbins back to mind. He has this thing called pattern interruption, right? And that it's like that every eight minutes, you've got to do introduce something into the environment that gets people re-engaged in what you're trying to talk they about. They do. Yeah. Adult learners, especially, they'll just start to go. <laughs> and uh, That's so true. It's, it's just, you know, you got to keep, you got to keep it moving, you know? That's right. That's right. All right. We are approaching an hour. Oh, we are. Before this has been so fun, <laughs> <laughs> especially in this it last. Felt like it was ten minutes. <laughs> the last eight minutes have been really fun. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I have to before I before I give you the opportunity to let people know where they can find you. Um, what are you reading these days? You mentioned books, and I know you held up Atomic Habits uh, with James Clear. I think that's who wrote that book. Um, I'm rereading Leaders Eat Last. I really oh, like this. Yeah, I'm rereading that. Um, I've got some other books. Hold on, that I may not be reading them right now, but you need to read them. Hold on. Uh, any book by Dr. Robert Cialdini is fabulous. Yeah, brilliant. Dr. Cialdini brilliant. is like my hero. I fangirl Dr. Cialdini. You know, I passed uh, Channing Tatum on the street once in San Francisco, and I kind of looked at him, and he kind of looked at me and gave me this nod like, yeah, it really is me. And I just thought, that's ah, Channing Tatum. But I met Dr. Cialdini in person, and he's a social psychologist. I lost my mind because <laughs> I'm such a geek. I'm a complete nerd. You know, I, I chased the limo driver for, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Who's the marketing guy? Seth Godin. Yes. Yes. I was, I was coming home on a red eye and I'm coming out and there's a guy standing there holding a sign that says Godin. Well, if it's, if it's Godin, oh. it's gotta be Seth Godin, right? So I stand there and I wait for him to show up because I'm stalking him. All right. Well, the limo driver like leaves and then Seth Godin comes out and I said, oh my God, you're Seth Godin. Can I like look at you and can I breathe the air that you're breathing? And, you know, can I just stand here and admire? He's really short, by the way. And um, he goes, how did you know I was coming out? And I said, I saw your limo driver with a sign. He goes, which way did he go? (laughs) He said, I can never find these drivers. So I like hung out with them and we walked out to the curb and waited for his car to come. And he just chatted away with me. He was a great guy. He's so fun. I don't know him. I've never met him, but I listen to and read all of his stuff. It's just totally cool. He's totally cool. Yeah. So I, and like I had beers one night in a Marriott in Oklahoma city with John Bon Jovi. I had no idea who he was because I am not cool. I am so not cool. But if it would have been like Tom Peters, I would have known who it was. If it would have been like Brian Solis, that he's, Brian Solis is my new intellectual crush. I would have like stared at him and been like, like a fish gasping for air, not knowing what to ask him. But, you know, John Bon Jovi, people like that. I'm like, eh. Eh. You had some cool songs, whatever. How How many books on science of marketing and sales have you written? No, I don't, I don't care about you. You know, I kind of would be like that. I believe that, actually. Total. Oh, no. No. What's the, so intellectual, however you would do that. Total intellectual. Oh, like an yeah. I? I can't do that. Something like that. That doesn't work. We'll, we'll go with that. All right. Well, I will, I, I'm going to give you one. You should get this book if you haven't. What one is it? It's called Influence is Your Superpower ah. by Zoe Chance. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Hold on. Yeah. I think you should pick that up because I'm reading it. And I'm thinking Lisa would like this book. Lisa would like this book. So 
Okay, hold on. I'm writing it down. I think it's yeah, because a good. I study, you know, the power of influence. I study that all the time and teach it to my sales people kind of thing. Testimony number one on the back of the, the book jacket is from Robert Cialdini. Oh. <laughs> Who I have met. I have fangirled over. I have his I have his I have his book autographed. Oh now that's in the right world, that's worth a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, to a bunch of geeks. Yeah, I, I, I would pay up for that. All right, <laughs> let's uh, let's let people know where they can find you, engage with you, uh, and if they want to hire you for a service, which I highly recommend, let them know where they can do that. You know, the easiest place right now because my website is being redone by a company called Reply Three Sixteen. I'm really excited about that. Um, I can't wait for that to relaunch. Uh, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn, really. And it's um, most people cannot pronounce or spell my last name, which is unfortunate. Um, but it's Lisa Trozine, T-R-O-S-I-E-N on LinkedIn. That's a great way to get a hold of me. People reach out to me on Facebook. I'm on Facebook just as Lisa Trozine. I'm the only Lisa Trozine on Facebook. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's lots of ways to find me. Um, if, if you really want to find me and you can't, just bug Mike. Because he knows how to find me. <laughs> That's right. Bug me. I won't hand out your personal cell phone number, but I will let people know where to find you for sure. Yeah. But yeah, Lisa, I I really, really appreciate that. And I mean that from my heart of hearts. I, I, I do know that it's been nine months trying to do this. And we finally accomplished that. We went through some sickness, some injuries, some et cetera, et cetera, and putting off the actual recording. But it has been an absolute pleasure. And I appreciate you doing it for me. Well, and, and now I can no longer say I don't do podcasts to people who ask me to do podcasts. You have opened the floodgate. Because <laughs> that's what was that was my standard reply. I don't do podcasts. Now I can say I only do Mike Brewer's podcast. <laughs> exclusive. I can and I can say exclusive. <laughs> you have an exclusive. You're you're the first person who got me because I turned down a bunch. Thank you. I'm honored. I mean that. Thank Great you so much, you. Lisa. Take have care. A weekend. You too. For everyone else, we will see you next time on Collective Conversations.